0: Uh, As we uh, have shared, we're going to continue our series in the book of Revelation. If you will recall last week, I said that there is a key verse that kind of gives us an outline of the book of Revelation. That verse comes to us in Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Uh, Jesus appearing to John, and he said, Write uh, these things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So Jesus himself reveals to john in this letter an outline he talks to him about uh write down the things that you see and and in uh uh, revelation chapter one we get a picture of um a a risen christ we get a picture of of him so we're not going to beat that up or go over it but we get this picture of a glorified christ in revelation 1 we see in revelations 2 and 3 uh, writing down the things that are and when we talk about the things that are he's talking about the condition of the church at that given point in history um we'll talk a little bit that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the church and then write down the things that are to come and that's the prophecies that have seemed to freak everybody out for the last i don't know 2000 years or thereabouts. So, we're going to talk about uh, some of those prophecies as we come up. So, that's why this is going to take us a while to get through. But Jesus, um, his words here in Revelation are words to seven groups of first century Christians. Um, He's speaking to the different churches. What's going on in each of these different churches? And the part that I think you know, some scholars have said, well, that looks at at uh, you know the church history throughout the last two thousand years, and, and that may be true. I'm I'm not that uh, much of a uh, Revelation scholar. What I think is important is that not only does it reveal what was going on in that first century church at that time, but it also reveals what's going on in us. If we look at the churches here in uh, chapters two and three, we see things that are going on around us today, and so that's where we're gonna. That's the perspective that we're gonna look at this. Revelations chapter one verses four through six, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace unto you, grace be unto you, and peace from Him, which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before His throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the first begotten of the dead the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood so the seven churches the seven churches that are represented in in the in Revelation here we're going to take a look at that we're going to begin that the letter to the seven churches describes actual condition that the early church was in this is a picture John John is saying these are the churches that I could I could walk to today it's actually almost kind of a mail route if you if you look at it that way I, next week we'll have a picture of the churches and where they're located I should have done that this week but I, I didn't think about it the seven churches were geographically arranged and he addresses them actually in sequence um, in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. That's the region of the world that we're talking about, Turkey and Iran and Iraq and in that, that area. As I said, some some scholars say that this is the eras of the church and, and I don't know about all that, but what I do know is that God addresses our hearts in each one of these churches. So... Um, Again, if you're a, a student of Revelation and want to get more into that, that's fine. But uh, this is a stage that the church was in and it's the stage that we need to look at ourselves. John ad- addresses the book of Revelation to the seven churches here. Um, but I believe that this is, addresses universal truth for us. Let's just go on and read that. I'm gonna keep reading my my same notes over and over and again. It just says the same thing that Jesus is talking to us that's what he's talking here so uh in in uh, revelation chapter 2 starting in verse 1 to the angel of the church of Ephesus write i explained this last week i believe that when when jesus walked among the candlestands the, the word says that he's walking among the churches the candlestands are represented of the churches and the the seven stars represent the angels of the church i believe that what he was saying there is there are angels that oversee the churches in each community i'm not sure exactly what that looks like but we know from scripture that there are there's a hierarchy of authority in in the heavenly realm, in the spirit realm. So here he's sending the angel of the church of Ephesus, and he said, write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them to be false. You have persevered and you have endured hardship for my namesake and you have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken uh, your first, forsaken the love that you had at first. Jesus says through the angel in these first three verses of this dissertation, he said, I know, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance, I know you can't tolerate wicked people, I know that you've tested false apostles. Think about that for just a second. If the church itself is testing apostles, this was an age of apostolic ministry. So, so we have the first twelve, the first followers of Jesus, and then from them become the apostles. Paul's an apostle. Uh, John's an apostle. People were walking around saying, "God has given me this gift of this apostolic ministry to establish." And that's an apostle's job is to go out and establish churches, to root them, to ground them, to found them in God's word. And what? John is saying here to the church what Jesus is saying to the church is you've tested those apostles and you found that several of them were false. So what he's saying is you have understood my word enough to be able to test these spirits to test and see if this is truth or not. What I want us to grab out of that is our responsibility remains today. They didn't have a written Bible like we have. Um, We've shared this as we've gone through the Old Testament. A letter would have been written, Paul would have written a letter to the church at Ephesus, for example, or to the church at Philippi, and somebody would deliver that, and they would come to the church, and they'd say, hey, you're having a church meeting. I got a letter from the Apostle Paul. And they would have him stand up and he'd share that letter and then he'd go to the next church and he'd say, hey, I've got a letter from the Apostle Paul and that's how these letters got shared and they would get passed around from church to church and there were scribes who were making copies of these things and they've got this so they're, they're getting to know the voice of Jesus so well that they can actually discern whether these apostles are from God or not. That's a pretty big deal. Here's why it's a big deal. It's a big deal because most of us have at least two or three of these sitting on our shelf at home. And many of them have got a layer of dust on them as thick as the Bible cover itself. And the question is, do we know the Word of God well enough that we could discern, hey, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. And I read in Ephesians, that, that doesn't sound like it. We get led astray. The Bible says we get led astray by every wind of doctrine at times. So this is a challenge to the church. This is a challenge for us. And, and this church was on that. They persevered. They endured. They did not grow weary. If you're not comforted by anything else in the whole book of Revelation, I want you to understand this. Every time that Jesus addresses the church, every time, he addresses seven churches, every time, he starts out with this phrase, I know. He knows something about every church. He knows something about each person who's going to those churches. Listen to what he says. Here in um, uh, here in Ephesians he starts with uh, I know your deeds. When we get to Smyrna, Smyrna he says I know your afflictions. When he gets to Pergamum he says I know where you live. That's usually a threat right? <laughs> I know where you live man. Well Jesus is saying I know this about you. So I don't believe that he's saying this in such a way that he's trying to hold it over our heads. He's trying to lord it over us. He's like, oh, I know this about you, man. I'm t- telling you, if you don't get this right, I'm gonna tell everybody. Anybody ever prayed that prayer is it just me? Oh, God, if you don't tell anybody, I promise I'll never do that again. <laughs> uh, two honest people in the back going, yeah, that was me, I did that too. That's how I spent most of my, t- that was my prayer life as a teenager, just so you know. Oh God, if you don't tell. But Jesus is saying that in such a way that he says, I know who you are. I know the troubles. I know the difficulties. I know the temptation. I get it. I get what you've seen. I get how you were raised. I know where you live. I know what you came out of. And and we're going to see in just a little bit. He even knows how long those troubles and those struggles and those temptations and trials are going to last in our life. He knows all about that. Again, if you get no other encouragement out of the book of Revelation, know this, God knows you. He knows who you are. He created you. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows every fiber of your being. So God knows our hurts. He knows our shame. He knows our guilt. He knows that place where you are. He knows those things that you've said, God, this is just too dark. I know you can't forgive me of this. He knows all of that stuff. So let's see what he says about the church in Ephesians. He said, in Ephesus, he said, you're hard working, You've got perseverance. Man, you hang in there. You can't tolerate wickedness. Can I say something for just a second? We got the whole tolerance thing wrong in our world today, okay? Tolerance has become this catchphrase that says, If I'm going to sin, you have to approve of it or you're not being very tolerant. Right? This is how I want to live my life. And if you say anything against that, well, you're being intolerant. You know what? God's Word's kind of intolerant when we look at it that way. He gives us a list of things and says, I want you to walk down this road, and that's sin. Now I can tolerate a sinner and say, "Man, I love you. I see what's going on in your life. I love you. I will stick by you. I'll hang with you. I, I, I will reach out. I'll do whatever I can. Whatever's going on in your life." But that doesn't mean that I agree with what you're doing. As a matter of fact, real acceptance, real tolerance is saying, "You know what? You got a problem, Jeff, and you need to get you need to get Jesus right down." Don't put the camera on his face because he's agreeing to way too much of this, okay? <laughs> I love Jeff. He's a good man. But, but we get tolerance wrong. We get tolerance. Tolerance does not mean I need to agree with your sin and we should just all do that. It's all okay. You know what? I, I can love a person who's going the wrong direction, but that doesn't mean I have to take that into my value system, Right? 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 We get that wrong, folks. Our world is, is using that word and prescribing it in a, in a wrong way, I, I believe, around us. Okay, I got notes on here someplace. I'm going to have to find my way back to them. He knows you, your hard work. You cannot tolerate wicked men. He doesn't say you test these wicked people and then you find out what's, what goes against God's word and then you say, yeah, come on in, I'll change my way. Just the opposite. He said, you you cannot tolerate that wickedness. You don't let that wickedness come in. That's a good thing. They knew they had to have known at some level God's word. They had to have known his spirit. I believe that they were walking in as much as they could. They were walking in the truth of who God is. But God does say that I have something against you. All of those good things that are going on and Jesus says, yet I have this against you in in verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. I think King James says, you have forsaken your first love or one translation says, you have forsaken your first love. Understand this, he's not saying that you've lost it. He's not saying that you've lost your first love. He's saying you have forsaken your first love. There's a difference To lose something means that for some reason it just kind of got away from me. But to forsake something means I've turned away from. I've left it behind. I've walked away from. Now, this is a church that's working diligently at trying to be righteous. But somewhere along the way, they forsook, they walked away from their first love. Their relationship, I want you to hear this because this is critical their relationship with God took second place to the works that they were doing. It happens in church all the time. We get so busy doing church, doing church, doing church, doing church. I'm doing this. I'm part of the elder team. I'm part of the leadership team. I'm part of Celebrate Recovery. I'm part of the women's ministry. I'm part of this. I'm part of that. I'm part of the other. I do cleaning. I, I help do this. I help do that. I help, oh, and I'm in the community, and I'm doing good things in the community, and I'm doing all this, and I'm doing all that. Keith, our sound guy, um, uh, the other day, he, he, a couple weeks ago, he wasn't running sound, and he came walking down here literally. he's was like, well, I don't to I sit. I sit behind a soundboard all the time. I just, I don't know where, like sit anywhere. Well, I don't want to take somebody's spot. Man, you're here. Take a spot. <laughs> See, sometimes we get so wrapped up in doing that we forget that we are to be in Christ. We're to be a believer. We're just, we're human beings, not human doings. Right? Human beings, not human doings. Jesus said, I got this against you. You've been doing so much that you forgot about your relationship with me. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who are, who are not tolerating wickedness. He's talking about people who are, who are trying to serve. He's talking about people who are, who are doing good things. So much so that he says, if you don't get this right, I'm going to have to take your lampstand away. Right? What's the lampstand? The lampstand is the church. I have a friend, I'm so far off my notes right now, I'm not even going to try. I have a friend in Hibbing, uh, married some 30 years at the time, I don't remember. Comes into my office one day. To, so busy in the church. Had helped plant churches, helped start churches. Uh, in our church at the time, he was an elder. A senior pastor was gone for the day. He comes down and he sits in my office. He says, I'm going to have to step down as, as an elder. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, my wife left me yesterday. Been married 30 plus years. His wife left him. I so, said, well, Man, what, what's going on? You'd have to understand this guy's been in church. He's been a believer since he was a child. His wife has been a believer since she was a, a young teenager, raised their family in church. The kids had some struggles along the way. But he got so comfortable, so complacent in his relationship that their relationship became all about he was going to work, he was making good money. Working his job. She's working her job. Uh, since he's making good money, he can spend it kind of however he wants to. Now, he wasn't a drinker. He wasn't, didn't party, didn't run around, didn't do any of that stuff. But man, did he ever like ice fishing. And he liked regular fishing. And he liked his boats. And he liked his cabin. And he liked his four-wheeler. And he liked this. And he liked to do that. And he was here with the guys and there with the guys. Gone here doing this. Gone here doing that. To the point that he had forsaken his first love. And she had enough. And she walked out. And I remember him coming back and meeting with our senior pastor. I actually had had the door open. I was listening, okay? I'll just be honest. (laughs) It was more about the counseling thing than anything else. But it's like, what is he going to say? How is he going to address this? And I remember our pastor saying to this fella, do you remember when you fell in love with your wife? Well, yeah. You still love your wife. Well, yeah. You still care about her. Well, yeah. You want to make this work, right? Yeah, all these answers, yeah, 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 yeah. When was the last time you just loved on her? You remember how to do that, right? He's an elder in our church, folks. Not this church. He was an elder in the church at the time. You remember how to do that, right? You remember that marriage is just not all about you, Right? Yeah, yeah. Can you go back and do those things again? Yeah, I said, I I think I can. And they were separated for about six months, give or take. But he finally, he said one day he was sitting at the table doing bills. And his wife at the time, they were separated. She had, she came and went as she wanted. She was at, living in another place. And he said, I'd, I'd begun Really, He said, I just had to repent. He said, I just let our relationship go so cold. He said, I just had to say, I'm sorry for doing that. And he said, I had to do it with an honest and sincere heart to the point that she may or may not ever come back. I didn't know. But I had to get to the point where I understood that I was wrong. And so he apologized to her. And after several weeks, he said, one day i was sitting at the table doing the bills and she comes up and she started rubbing my neck. And he said, it scared me at first. Then she leaned down and she said, you know what, I think we can make this work. And then now, 10 years later, and that marriage is restored if you have... If I, There are times when I've talked to him and asked him how things were going, and he's like, better than it's ever been, man. Our relationship is better than it's ever been. The caution is for us as believers that we don't get so complacent in our relationship with God that all of a sudden we wake up someday and we realize, you know what, I'm doing all these things. I've got all these good things going, and yet I haven't spoken to the Lord in weeks or maybe months. You don't have to raise your hand. But I can tell you as a pastor, there are times when I've gone and gone and gone and gone and find myself running and running and running and running and realize after days, sometimes maybe weeks, God, I haven't spent any time with you at all. And there's this separation. And if there's separation, it's not from God, right? If there's separation, it's not his problem, it's mine. It's not that he's left me, it's that I've left him. I've forsaken him. I've walked away from our relationship. He's calling. He's always calling. His word says, he will never leave us nor forsake us, ever. So we find that separation. And here, John is talking to the church and he's like, you're in a tough spot, folks. You need to recognize this. Jesus is saying, you need to recognize this because here's what's going to happen. You can do all the good things you want, but I'm taking the church away. I'm taking this, I'm walking out with my candlestick. And you can figure out what you're going to do because you've walked away from me. It's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us as individuals. Where is our relationship with Christ? What are we doing on a daily basis? How many of you remember, how many of you remember where you came from? How many of you remember garbage that was in your life before you accepted Jesus. Yeah, both hands. I am so grateful that I don't have to walk in that guilt anymore. I am so grateful I don't have to walk in that shame anymore. I'm so grateful that I don't have to look over my shoulder. You know what that's like, right? Just got to make sure. I'm so grateful that I don't have to remember which lie I told last. Right? I don't have to back that up. I'm so grateful for all of that. And yet, I get to a place in my walk where I just come, become complacent because I know that God is there. And he's always there if I run to him. But you know what? He's saying to us, don't forget don't forget how much I love you. Don't forget where I've taken you from. Don't forget the heights from which you have fallen. Don't forget that garb. Don't dwell on it. Don't live in it, but don't forget about it because I've rescued you. I've pulled your feet out of the mud. I've set you on a rock. I've changed your life. Don't forget that stuff. And I'm afraid sometimes that we get so busy in all the things that we do that we forget how much we appreciate that first love, how much we really care about the one who cared for us first, the one who delivered us from our trials and our struggles. That's what he's talking about. Jesus said, uh, when Jesus was asked back in the book of Matthew, what's the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, he says this, verse 35, one of them, the expert of the law, testing him, Jesus, with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, make sure that you're in church on Sunday. No? Celebrate recovery's not up there? Bible study's not up there? No, no, no. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, the law and the prophets. Hang on these two commandments. Everything that's written in the law of the prophets, everything in the Old Testament, everything there is in the New Testament, you hang on these two things. Number one, love Jesus with all of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. How much is all of your heart? All all, all. All of your soul. All of your mind. Sunday mornings, does that cover Sunday mornings? What about Monday mornings? Yep. What about Thursday mornings? Yep. Yep. What about Friday evening? You know, Friday is kind of a special day. I kind of get Friday night to myself, right? Nope. Love the Lord your God with all you've got, everything that's in you. And if you do that, you find yourself loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you've got it all. You, you, all the Ten Commandments are complete in that. If you could just do those two, those two things, if you and I can just walk in those two things, we got it covered, right? How easy is that? That's what I thought. It's not so easy, is it? You don't know my neighbor. <laughs> Pastor, you don't know my neighbor. Pastor, you don't know the kind of neighbor I've got or the past kind of neighbor I've been. First of the Ten Commandments says, Love the Lord your God. Uh, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no strange gods before me. In other words, love me first. Jesus is the one. Who died for our sins? Who else could take our sins away? Our works, serving in church, feeding the poor, finding a place for the homeless. None of that replaces what Christ did. None of it. You might say, well, pastor, we know that. That's why we're in church. I get that. I just want you to understand that there's something more than just being in church, right? What's that relationship with Christ like on a daily basis for each one of us? Because if we're not moving it forward, it's going backwards. It won't stay. It's like parking a car. My brother-in-law one time parked his car on an icy hill. Pulled in, parked his car. Fancy, fancy paint job. Fancy paint job. The car, all by itself. We're in the house. All of a sudden, slides right into his dad's truck. All by himself. Nobody was out there. Nobody was out there. That's what your relationship with Jesus Christ is like. It's on a slippery slope. If you're not advancing it, it's going backwards because it ain't sitting there by itself. You got to do something about it every day. You and I need to invest every day in our relationship with the Lord. Graciously, God gives us an answer here for those of us who have forsaken him, for we've chosen to walk away. We've chosen to just, you know. (laughs) uh, You know what what it's like when we feel that prompting, that nudging of the Holy Spirit to do something in our life. Like, man, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do this. I know I need to do this. I'll do it another day. You know what that's called? Forsaking. Oh, I should call. I, should, I know I should call. I know I should call. I know I should call. And I choose not to? We've just forsaken. We've just pushed ourselves away from. We're separating. God says, there's a way back in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever hears them, uh, let them, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The one who, is, who, the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus said, if you just hang on, he, the, the, we'll talk about the experience of the Nicolaitans at another time, but, but he's saying, if you will just repent and go back and do those right things again, you're gonna overcome, you're gonna overcome, and if you overcome, and if you overcome, I'm gonna give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which means we're gonna spend eternity with Jesus, right? But we gotta get this relationship thing right first. My friend, is walking in right relationship with his wife there is a there is a whole orchard of rewards you, you think about this i I told a story one time to my kids uh, a, a guy that I bought a business from. He actually sold the business um, his wife was sick, and the only way to make things work was he had to divorce her, even though they still loved each other. It was the only way could make the medical things work blah 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 blah. He had to divorce her. And I, I, I think it was Zoe. I'm not going to look that direction. I could be wrong, um, but I said, "Well, you know, what would you think of something like that?" And she said, "Well, you'd never see me or my kids again." Go. Like, oh. See, there's consequences for all of our actions, right? Right? There's consequences. How many of you believe that? There's consequences for our actions, and we can repent, but that doesn't mean that the the fruit of that goes away. My buddy who finally got things right with his wife is experiencing good fruit. That's what Cheryl's talking about. Good fruit. There's good fruit for following after God. There's bad fruit when we don't follow after God. You plant a seed and you're gonna get, that's what's gonna come up. You plant corn, you're gonna get? You plant potatoes, you're gonna get? You plant peas? Joy? Fear? Love? Trust, confidence, boldness, peace, love, joy, hope. All those things come, they come back to us. Everything you plant is gonna come back. You plant goodness in your relationship and I'm not just talking about goodness, I'm talking about repent. Get rid of that old junk. Follow after Christ. He follows after you. He comes back. He's, he's, He's there constantly for us. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Revelations is easy. Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember where you came from. Repent for forsaking the one that we love, and repeat that. Go back and do what you did at first. Remember, repent, repeat. You find yourself stuck and going, "You know what, God? I just, I feel like I haven't, like we, like we haven't, haven't been close. I haven't talked to you in a long time." God's like, "I'm still here." Do what you did at first. What does that look like? How many of you remember when you first... I'll give you my experience, okay? When I first accepted Jesus, it was in a little Salvation Army church. I'd been raised Catholic, went to church because my mom made us. Uh, My dad used to go with my mom on Christmas and Easter, but otherwise my dad stayed home, and he watched All-Star Wrestling. And I remember thinking someday I'm going to grow up and I'm going to send my wife and kids to church so I can stay home and watch All Star Wrestling. You might not believe it, but that's actually true. Okay, I actually thought that was like the pinnacle. That's the highlight of Sunday mornings: getting home to stay watch watch All Star Wrestling. And then my dad decided that he should start going back to church. He went to Salvation Army and invited me. And I went and I saw this magician, and the guy got up and he's doing all these magic tricks. And then he un, he, he revealed some of his magic tricks. He said, you, th- "You see, you think you have freedom, but really the devil's got control. He's so you think this is happening, but this is what's really happening." All of a sudden, I got mad. I thought going out and hiding behind a barn and getting drunk was a freedom that I had. Turns out I was actually in bondage. I thought smoking was a freedom that I had. Turned out it was sin. I thought smoking pot was a freedom that I had. Turns out that's not freedom. I'm in bondage, and it made me mad. So I thought I need to accept this Jesus thing, and see see where this takes me. I'm not watching All Star Wrestling on Sunday mornings anymore. I can tell you that. <laughs> Probably not going back either. But <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, reluctant. Well, maybe you should. You know. Once a month, maybe every couple of months, you could do that. It's all right. <laughs> Not really sure how to take that, y'all. Uh, anyhow, I remember walking out of that meeting thinking to myself, the sky is bluer than when I came in here. And the grass is greener. And there's just something different. The forgiveness that I felt, the change in my life was so evident. I just. I knew it. Not only was I not only was I now free,'t I, I, I God supernaturally delivered me. I'm just going to tell you, He doesn't do it to everybody. I don't know why, I don't know how. but I went from smoking three packs of cigarette that day to smoking zero. I went from getting high every morning to never again. I, 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 all these things God just delivered, He delivered me from, just immediately delivered me from. There are some days when I just need to remember that. God, that old man is dead and it's because of you. Thanks for doing that for me. Thanks for changing my life. I had this thing in my mind. I don't know where it came from, but I told people when I was a teenager that I wasn't gonna live into my 40s. I knew I wouldn't live past the age of 42. For some reason, I knew that in my mind. I knew that I'd be dead by the time I was 42. And here I am well beyond that. And i got kids who serve the Lord and grandkids who are coming to church and who actually like me. They want, they want to be around Grandpa. They, they like Grandpa. There's fruit for doing things right, folks. But it goes back to getting our life back on track with God. The Church of Smyrna is the second church We read in Revelations 2, starting at verse 8. The angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last and who died and came to live to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, and about the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you that the devil will put some of you in prison prison to the test and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Even in death, I will give you, if you're faithful, even in death, God gives us a victor's crown because this old body is dying anyhow. This old tent is dying anyhow. This is not eternal life. What we're experiencing now, this is not eternal life. This is a mortal body. This is flesh. The Bible talks about it like an old tent, and it's decaying right in front of you. Every time I work on somebody's vehicle or somebody's trailer and I got to get up under a trailer yesterday doing some welding, and i this is ridiculous. I'm laying on my back welding. Dave, it was like this. I'm doing some welding, and I had to get up, and I had to crawl like this before I could find something to prop myself up on. Someday there's going to become a victor's crown, even if that persecution takes me to death. Smyrna is the church that we read the least about. It's the shortest of the churches that he spoke to. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Those, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The first death is just my body dying. The second death is being cast into hell. That's the second death. And he's like, if you're victorious, if you hear the words of Jesus, if you walk after this, if you live after this, if you get your heart right, you don't have to worry about that second death at all. It's not coming near you. Somebody should say amen, because that's exciting. That's good news, right? That's good news. I'm not going to have to crawl underneath the trailer someday. I'm not going to have to crawl out from... I even got to work to get out of bed, and that's going down. Swear, you, 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 getting old is tough. <laughs> Jesus said, I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you are rich. What does that sound like? Kind of sounds like the Beatitudes to me. Matthew chapter 5, now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and, they be, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You might be poor in spirit, but you've got the kingdom of heaven in you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Jesus is telling the church here, there's going to come a time when you're persecuted. This really stuck out to me. He, he gives them a time. He gives them this date. You're going to be persecuted for 10 days. You're going to be persecuted for 10 days. I don't know the significance of that 10 days, but I know this. Jesus knows exactly how long your persecution, exactly how long your struggle, exactly how long your difficulty is going to last. You may say well I work at a job and, and every time I talk about God somebody slanders or somebody So, okay that's fine you can be persecuted that's all right maybe you say well my spouse absolutely can't stand me going to church they don't like this They're, they pick on me they call me a, a Jesus freak blah 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 okay that's fine Jesus knows how long that's going to last he knows how long that's going to last you might not know it you might say I just can't I, can't I wish I could just see the end of this Jesus knows the end of it He knew that the church was going to be put in prison for 10 days. He knew that was going to happen. I'm telling you, he knows you. He knows your situation. He knows where you're at. He knows the beginning from the end. And we have our hope, our life, our peace, our joy comes from him. It does not come from our circumstances around us. He's trying to encourage this church is going through difficulty. This church was in Smyrna. They were known for uh, false gods. They were known for worshiping Caesar. That's what the whole city was about, was about this worship of Caesar, the Roman government. That's what they were about was that. And so, so right in the middle of that is this church of people who are trying to do right and they're getting persecuted for it. And Jesus says, I know. troubles that you're facing i know what you're going through and i'm here to tell you if you will just hang on to me at the end even if it costs you your life see we don't understand that right we don't understand persecution at that level we don't we've as a church community in the united states we've never seen that kind of persecution there are places folks there are places in the world where if you name the name of christ you're kicked out from your family, you might be killed. That's true. There are places where you can't go. Evangelical organizations, I don't remember what the, the there's a couple of, of, uh, of uh, uh, parallels that they say you can't, that's the 1040 quadrant. You can't go there because if you name the name of Christ, you'll be killed for it. See, we don't recognize that. We think if somebody looked crossways at us on Sunday in church, they were picking on us when the reality is maybe they had indigestion. They, they actually might not like you. They might not like me. But the truth of the matter is, that's not real persecution. We don't understand it. Here, he's saying these people are going to jail and they might even die, but even if that's the case, if you die but your life is in me, you're gonna receive a victor's crown. So we gotta look beyond this world. We get so stuck in what we see and what we feel and what we touch and what we look at around us And there's such a greater picture. The kingdom of God is far greater than we can even imagine. Jesus is saying, I know your struggles. I know your difficulties. I know what you're going through. Be faithful. Don't fear. You're going to receive the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, he who overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. The church at Smyrna offers another powerful, I think, timeless lesson It was prosperous. It was bustling. It was a beautiful city. It was a port city. And Christians were being persecuted. And I was reminded of Paul's writing in Romans chapter 8. And this is the timeless truth. Paul says, For I reckon, he was from the south, southern Israel apparently, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of, to compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It doesn't make any difference what the struggle is. Paul said, that reckon, actually that word reckon is reconciling a checkbook, the columns, your suffering over here compared to the glory over here, your income versus your expense, the suffering. Paul says it doesn't make any difference what you face here on earth, the hope and the glory which we have on the other side. Not, you can't even compare them. They're not even worth comparing. I don't even have the time. It's not even worth comparing. That's what Paul says. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> God, we look at these two churches and the challenge for us is hang on, number one. But the other challenge for us is are we right? Are we in a place where we have done so much? We've gone to so many meetings. We've uh, spent so much time that we we, we got all the good stuff done, but we've forgotten you. God, have we walked away? Have we forsaken our relationship with you? You're calling us to get that right, God, to get that right. Father, that even if there's a, a struggle going on in our life, we need to repent. We need to remember where you have brought us from and, and then turn back to you. I just believe, church, that the Lord would say to us this morning that your relationship is far more important. This is what his word says. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is far more important than the things that you do for him. He'd much rather have time with you on a daily basis than have you doing all kinds of things for him. Doing will come. That, that, that'll happen. But he wants time. He wants time. He wants you to spend time in His presence. It looks like prayer. It looks like worship. It looks like reading His Word. It looks like being quiet. It looks like just getting alone and saying, God, I need to talk to you. Even Jesus got away from ministry and he spent time alone with the Father. God, I just ask that you would instill that in our hearts. Today, this week, take that time to get alone with you. Work it in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I challenged you to read Revelations 1 through 3. This week I'm going to challenge you to uh, spend some time alone with God. On a daily basis. Okay, you want a real challenge? Here, I'll give you a real challenge. Revelations chapter one through three should take us somewhere in the neighborhood of about 45 minutes to read. So how about this? Spend 45 minutes alone with the Lord sometime this week. One 45-minute block alone. Find the time, one 45-minute block, all right? There, you're challenged. God bless you. Have yourself a great day.